Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. So we, the context here is um, we've now reached the final uh, paragraph, like I had mentioned earlier, of this book, but specifically also of this prayer of Habakkuk in the last chapter. And the, this prayer is in context of this impending destruction prophesied by God through the prophet that Babylon is going to destroy Judah. Um, the, these, this is what is, we should keep in mind um, as we read these words of the prophet. And in this prayer to God, this um, psalm or singing prayer to God. Um, we'll reread verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Habakkuk starts with this um, description of how he's trembling before this impending destruction, before God, before the Word of God and the promises that he has made. That trembling is not something to um, be or should not be discounted from the Christian life. This trembling before God shows a reverence for God and a belief and a a faith in what God has proclaimed. That trembling um, is a proper response um, to the word of God, but only in the believer does this really happen. Most people don't want trembling. Um, Most people... Uh, despise uh, a God who would cause them to tremble. But here, this is what the prophet is saying, and this is our picture to imitate. There are other um, cross-references we'll, we'll go to here about how the repentant and humble man before God, that one who has truly had his heart changed, trembles before the Lord. We'll start in Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Again, this, the quality of the man, or the characteristic of the man before God, This is the one who God will look to. This is the one who God will um, show favor to, is the one who trembles at his word. If there is no trembling at God's word, then the Lord will not be looking at that man, looking at, at him in a spiritual sense as one whom he has redeemed. This is a certain quality, not a... um a quality that may be there or may not be there, but you, there must be trembling at the word of God. That is um, definitely certain 
characteristic of one who has been redeemed. Um, Further examples we have of this will go to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We have Moses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. We'll start at Hebrews twelve eighteen. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Here again we have our word trembling describing Moses as he is before God, as God revealed himself on Mount Sinai. This is the God that causes us to tremble. This is not the God that we see ourselves Right now, such as Moses did, but we have faith that this is the way God is. And that's what makes us tremble at his word. Continuing in chapter 12, we'll go to verses 28 and 29. Hebrews twelve twenty-eight. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So that example of Moses, as the apostle writes here, he he presents it because it's to remind us that our God is a awesome God. It is one that should um, elicit a fear of reverence and awe because God is a consuming fire. This, again, is how we show gratitude. That's what it says in verse 28. Let us show gratitude. This is the man who has been redeemed. This is evidence of that fact. To tremble before the Lord. And finally, we'll go to um, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians two twelve. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in verse 12, the one who is working out his salvation with fear and trembling, why, why is that man um, presenting those attributes? Why is there fear in that man? Why is there trembling? Because God is at work in them. This is what um, the prophet, this is the example the prophet is showing us as well. That as he looks to God and he looks to um, what he has promised, what he has declared, um, specifically in this um, instance of uh, Babylon coming to destroy Judah, but he believes in it, 
and he trusts what God has said, and he trembles at it knowing that it will come to pass. If God has declared it, it will come to pass. That these are the attributes of God. And to further explain that Habakkuk understands that God has said it, he has declared it, so it will happen. He says uh, in the latter half of verse 16, Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people who to arise who will invade us. There's no may or might or anything that would indicate some sort of chance that this will not happen, but he has accepted it. I must wait because God has told him that this is what is going to happen. And faith in what God has planned is, again, as the example of Habakkuk is teaching us, the mindset and the heart of the true believer. So for some references, cross-references for this, we'll go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 24 to 27. Isaiah fourteen twenty four. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. To break Assyria in my hand, and I will trample him on my mountains. Then his yoke will be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulder. Thus, or excuse me, this is the plan devised against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his, and as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? So as it says in verse 26, this is the plan of the Lord. And again in 27, the Lord of hosts has planned who can frustrate it. So Habakkuk, knowing that God has declared these things as certain, just as um, the Lord is explaining here in Isaiah, that they will come about. This is also another reason for trembling. Because we know the Lord has planned um, different days of here in the immediate sense was Babylon destroying Judah, but also in an eternal sense we know that the day of judgment will come. This is something that we have faith in. Because God has declared it and has made this promise. We'll turn to Hebrews again, Hebrews chapter 6, for further explanation of how God's word is true, what he has said is true. So we have no um, room to not believe it. There, there is no way God would ever be wrong. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. And what we'll read. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves. 
and with them an oath, given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So verses 17 and 18 explain that God cannot lie, and His promise He would never renege. These are... Two truths about God that we would know to be true about God. Um, otherwise, he would not be God. That what he has said will come to pass. And again, like we explained earlier with Habakkuk, the, um, the immediate context is the Babylonians. But he has, and we'll look at this f- further, he has eternal consequences in mind as well Um, and that's the context of here in hebrews 6 as well that this mindset of the believer when god has declared these things we know that they will happen and that we must have faith in them so as we've looked at the the positive or the righteous example of how one responds to god's word we know that there are many false teachers and many false prophets um, that respond to God's word differently. And we can examine the examples from Scripture to examine people in our own lives as well. But here we'll turn to Jeremiah 28 to um, read what Jeremiah encountered with the false prophets against him, specifically on this same incident we're talking about. So Jeremiah also preaching of the uh, Babylonian uh, conquests of Judah. In Jeremiah 28, verse 10, we'll read 10 to 17, explains what a false prophet against him proclaimed and God's response to that. Jeremiah 28, verse 10. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke it. Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I break within two full years the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations. Then the prophet Jeremiah went his way. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and speak to Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made instead of them yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. And I have also given him the beasts of the field. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made his people, this people, trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This year you are going to die because you have counseled rebellion against the Lord. 
So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year, in the seventh month. So here's our example of what the false prophet teaches. He was preaching ease. He was preaching, oh, the yoke will be broken. It will only be two years. But is that what God had prophesied? Is that what God has preached to the people? No. And he speaks again to Jeremiah and um, to rebuke Hananiah and to put him in his place and pronounce this judgment against him because he was contrary to God's word. What, in which way was he contrary to God's word? Those contrary to God's word are usually softening God's word. That's what he did here in his breaking of the metaphoric yoke that was on Jeremiah. Another example we have of um, the false prophets and the false teachers and what their message is or what they desire is in Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 verses 9 to 11. Isaiah 30 verse 9. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right, speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions, get out of the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. So these rebellious people and the false sons, this is what they want preached to them. They want the soft message, they want the pleasant words. And the illusions. They know that God is righteous and they want nothing to do with it. And this is the message of the false prophets. But do these messages, like we have in Habakkuk, bring about trembling in the people? Do they bring about righteousness, faith? They, they don't bring about any of those qualities in their people. And that's how the fruit of how we can see that these are false messages. And finally, for our New Testament example, we'll turn to Second Timothy. We'll be reading Second Timothy chapter four <clears throat> verses one to five. Second Timothy four one. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires." And will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship to do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So again here, the contrast of the true message and the false message. The true message is to reprove and rebuke and exhort. That's the, that is the true message, one that corrects us from the way our flesh wants us to be, to follow after godliness. 
Whereas the false doctrine or the one that is um, not sound is the one of tickling of the ears, the one that is soft, the one that um, is in accordance with the fleshly desires. <clears throat> so we see, see this contrast not only, as we mentioned, in the, the immediate physical sense of the passage we're talking about, but also it's the same <clears throat> eternally and spiritually um, that we hear today that the day of judgment is soft or it doesn't even exist or that there is no condemnation um, for those no matter how licentious they live. This is the f- consistent message of the false prophets. The consistent message of those who belong to Satan is that God is a liar. What he has brought, what he has told us will happen, will happen, and that we should be reverent to that fact. Um, and as we, as we mentioned, this certainty of God's word, Habakkuk highlights that, turning back to Habakkuk 3.16, the very last um, <clears throat> phrase in this verse, for the people to arise who will invade us. It is going to happen that these things, it's not depending on human will. Otherwise, Habakkuk couldn't speak certain about it, but it's God's will. As he, he's mentioned already in Habakkuk 1.6, that this is the Lord's will. Habakkuk 1.6, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. So God is raising the, up the Chaldeans. Habakkuk knows this fact and he recognizes this fact and he has faith in this fact that God is going to bring about the events that he has told them about. Uh, quickly, we'll turn to 2 Kings chapter 24. <clears throat> this is the evidence or the proof in a historic context um, of this actually taking place. We'll turn to Second Kings chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Second Kings 24, verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Arameans, bands of Moabites, and bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. So God sent them. So again, we have God's will being carried out. God raising these people up against Judah to destroy it. So brought about by God. And then what does he say at the end? According to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. This should have been no surprise to people, but they didn't have faith in the word of God. They didn't tremble before God as Habakkuk did, but they were led astray by the false prophets and their own desires, thinking nothing bad will ever happen to them, even though what God has preached is contrary to what they believe. Moving on in Habakkuk, returning... We'll read verses 17 and 18. 
Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. So verse 17 is full of negative hardships, consequences of what will happen because the Chaldeans are coming in. That there won't be very much physical means for the people. They will be lowly. They won't have um, hardly any um, wealth or their food will be scarce. It will not be easy a life, not an easy breezy life. But in verse 18, as a righteous man, as a believer in Christ, he says, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. His mind is set on the eternal. His mind is set on the God of my salvation, that is Christ. So the believer's mindset in the believer's faith in the life to come should never be altered by their earthly circumstances, should never wane, should never um, falter because of something bad happening to them. We, we today could never imagine our country being overtaken and destroyed, watching um, everyone be taken into exile and slaughtered, that's so far from anything we've experienced, yet he kept his faith. We have other examples of, of instances like this. We'll turn to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, and we'll read verses 13 to 22 to give us the proper context of all that Job had endured at this point before he praises the Lord. Job chapter 1 verse 13. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And then the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. 
as we look at what Job has experienced here, the death of his sons and his daughters, the destruction of all of his wealth, but he does not curse God. I mean, we have seen in our own lives how people have cursed God over nothing, over a bad day at work, over something so inconsequential. When a righteous man is faced with these hardships, there is only but one thing but to fall down before God. If you believe in God, in His promise, in eternal life, that He is the provider of all things, and He is also the one who takes away all things, that we should also fall down and worship, even in the toughest of circumstances. Another response of the righteous in these types of circumstances is Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we'll read verses 22 to 25. Acts 16:22. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So after they were imprisoned unjustly, beaten unjustly, Paul and Silas' response to these circumstances are to sing hymns of praise to God and to Um, Worship God. Give thanks to God. This is, again, the response. We have never faced any type of persecution like this. So we should never grow weak um, in our praise of God. Never stop praising God. There is no um, reason to. Many of the righteous prophets and the apostles, our examples of Scripture, have suffered these things. Um. And whether that be unjustly, persecution, because of our faith, or even the corporate punishment of a nation, such as we're studying in Habakkuk. Habakkuk, it's not because of Habakkuk's sins that he is facing this persecution or this judgment. But he doesn't cry out before God, acting as if it's unfair, or he doesn't deserve these things, but he understands God's righteousness, his sin, and humbly accepts his judgment. Um, just as Jeremiah, we, we read Jeremiah earlier with Hananiah, his um, enemy, that, well, Jeremiah also faced the same Babylonian conquest and uh, exile. Daniel was exiled to Babylon. We have examples like Lot had to flee Sodom. These were righteous men being um, under these earthly punishments, not for their own um, wrongdoing, 
but they still always praised God. Uh, an example also um, that, or another proof that the righteous and the wicked will share in the judgments and that it wasn't because of the sins of the, of the righteous man. Uh, we'll turn to Ezekiel 21. Ezekiel chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Ezekiel 21, 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem, and speak against the sanctuaries, and prophesy against the land of Israel. And say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, and I will draw my sword out of its sheath, and cut off from you, the righteous and the wicked, because I will cut off from you the righteous and the wicked. Therefore, my sword will go forth from its sheath against all flesh from south to north. Thus, all flesh will know that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword out of its sheath. It will not return to its sheath again. So here, as the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, he's explaining to him that he recognizes that the righteous and the wicked will be cut off, that this is a fact of the punishment that he is um, prophesying against the land of Israel. This is um, a part of the punishment. And not as if the righteous man, again, he calls them righteous, so it's not of the righteous man's sin, but it is a consequence of the nation's sin. But again, in verse 5, it's to God's glory, and the righteous man will understand that, regardless of, again, his earthly, earthly circumstances are not the main concern. He says in verse 5, Thus all flesh will know that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword out of its sheath. It's to God's glory always. But as we alluded to, the, the earthly man does not have hope or faith in the life to come whether they be someone who outrightly denies the gospel or falsely believes in the gospel, ultimately the faith in the life to come and eternal things are not in the mind of that unbeliever. And that's why only a righteous man could think this way. If your hope is laid up in this world, then that's all you care about. That's all you want to have um, your desires of your flesh and the earthly comforts, um, food in your belly, these kinds of things are the mind of the unbeliever, but not the mind of the righteous man of Scripture. <clears throat> Some evidences of this, of those righteous having their minds set on heavenly things, eternal things, will first turn to Romans 8. We'll read Romans eight eighteen to 25. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So again, as ones who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we are anticipating the life to come. We have hope in what we do not see now, but we know exists. And that is why we have perseverance in verse 25. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. That's the perseverance that these men that we read, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Daniel, Lot, that we examined of their earthly punishment and their earthly hardships, that they, with perseverance, were waiting eagerly for the heavenly kingdom. Because there is nothing on this earth that comes even close to that freedom from the corrupt world. Further examples, um, we'll go to Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Again, the reward. This is what Moses had his faith fixed on as he endured the reproach of Christ. The persecutions and the hardships that come with the Christian life were overcome because of his eyes fixed on the heavenly things. And then finally on this point, we'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So here, First Peter, as he's speaking of various trials, he talks about 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is an eternal hope. The salvation of your souls. That is an eternal hope. That this is what allows us to persevere through these things. And this is also what Habakkuk has in mind. As he says in verse 18, Yet I will exalt in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He's thinking of his salvation. But he, he's not speaking of his salvation in an earthly sense, because he just, in verse 16, recognized the fact that the Babylonians were going to come and destroy the nation. But he's recognizing the fact that his salvation is eternal. And it is the God of his salvation. Who else is that but Christ? That is, all of our Lord and Saviors, those who truly believe, both in His time and in our time. So there are also examples of those who do not have their faith fixed on eternal things, that don't have their faith in Christ. And when the slight inconvenience comes, to their way of life, they completely ditch God. This is something that uh, uh, we see in Scripture. We'll first start with Jeremiah chapter 44. Jeremiah 44 verses 15 and 19 What is what we will read. This is the the offerings to the queen of heaven Jeremiah 44:15 Then all the men who were aware of their wives were burning that their wives were burning sacrifices to other gods along with all the women who were standing by as a large assembly including all the people who were living in Pathros In the land of Egypt, responded to Jeremiah, saying, As for the message that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we are not going to listen to you. But rather, we will certainly carry out every word that has proceeded from our mouths, by burning sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven, and pouring out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves, our forefathers, our kings, and our princes did in the cities of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and were well off and saw no misfortune. But since we stopped burning sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offering to her, we have lacked everything and have met our end by the sword and by famine. And said the women, when we were burning sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven and were pouring out drink offerings to her, was it without our husbands that we made for her sacrificial cakes in her image and poured out drink offerings to her? So those who were offering these sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven, why is it that they want to return? Do they want to offer sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven because they have faith that this Queen of Heaven is the Creator because of the Holy Scriptures, because of the Word of God? No, it's because as they describe in verse at the end of verse 17, for then we had plenty of food and were well off and saw no misfortune. Their whole their entire religion, their entire faith is based on the fact that they had 
plenty of earthly belongings, food, and no misfortune. But that's not what we read of Job. That's not what we read of Habakkuk in this passage. That's not what their faith is set in. But this is the faith of the false believer. Further, another example we have is in Micah. Micah chapter 3, verse 5. Micah 3, verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. The prophets... Not of the Lord. The prophets who are leading the people astray, teaching false things, teaching false gospels. What what is the basis of them teaching? How will they cry peace? They cry peace when they have something in their teeth, when they have food, when they have earthly means, when they're being given these things by those who they are preaching peace to. That's when they preach peace. But they will preach nothing good because... To those who give them nothing, because that's all they're after. They're after earthly possessions. Nothing about faith in Christ. Nothing about faith in the Word of God. But only faith in keeping their bellies full. And additionally, uh, an example in the New Testament, we'll turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. The rich young ruler. Mark 10, 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, He was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So here, again, the response of one who does not have true faith when their earthly means and their earthly wealth is questioned or jeopardized, they walk away. They don't have a true faith and a true heart. The true believer does not have these things set before God. God is first in their lives, but of the the false believer or the false brethren, that's what they have. So as we look at these examples, whether it's wealth, I mean, it's always wealth or material possessions. That's what their hope is fixed fixed on. Um, 
and and as our example in Jeremiah 44, those who are sacrificing to the queen of heaven, these are all things that they have picked up, sinful things they have picked up because of the world around them. Um, That their faith is not true to God, it's true to whatever they believe or um, lines up with their desires. But when hardships come, they will fall away from the true and living God and bear the fruit of an unbeliever. We'll return to Habakkuk chapter 3 and read our final verse, verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk on my high places. So here Habakkuk, again, bringing glory to God. And explaining, even though these circumstances or the hardships in verses 16 and 17, these persecutions come about that he's going to praise God and that his hope is in the salvation of God. And that God is the source of his strength. He he uses the phrase, he has made my feet. It's not as anything in Habakkuk is what's strengthening him or giving him these hinds feet, these quick feet, sturdy feet of the deer. But it's God doing it. Nothing in Habakkuk but God alone. This is what he's preaching to us here. That the only way to overcome these, like we said, is to have faith in Christ. And the only way to have faith in Christ is if God has ordained it for you to believe. And that is where your strength comes from. That's what he's describing here in verse 19. Um, Some examples. We're talking predestination and God's will over man's will. We'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. To expound on this. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised Him up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk 
in them. During this passage, we see many of the same truths that Habakkuk is preaching in this paragraph as well. That, such as in verse 3, we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. Well, Habakkuk is preaching against that as well. He's saying these lusts of our flesh for these earthly things and the um, being concerned about uh, what is happening on this earth is no longer a concern of ours. We are freed of these things, but now we have faith in Christ being saved, not by our own will, not Habakkuk isn't the one that's making his own feet like Hind's feet. It is God doing these things. So God is our strength. <clears throat> we'll see also in Psalm 18. So take note of uh, Habakkuk 3.19, the language and the exact phrases that he's using in in. Habakkuk 3.19, as we turn to Psalm 18, verses 32 to 33. Psalm 18, 32 and 33. For God who girds me with strength, And makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet. And sets me upon my high places. So here we have God giving strength. To the believer. To the righteous man. And also 13. This identical uh, verse. He makes my feet like hinds feet. And sets me upon my high places. This is almost verbatim what Habakkuk is saying here. This is evidence that the prophets knew the scriptures and um, were reading those before them. That David was well before Habakkuk, um, about 400 years. That uh, when we pray and when we sing these psalms to God, that it is... Right, good and right for us to memorize Scripture and use God's words in our prayers. It is the one way we know that 100% what we're praying is true and righteous. It's also the same phrase again in Second Samuel for further evidence of this fact. We'll turn to 2 Samuel, verse 22. 2 Samuel, chapter 22, verse 34. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me on my high places. So again, this is the words of the prophets before Habakkuk saying the same thing and Habakkuk recognizing the same fact, giving glory to God for his strength and his salvation. And then finally, after the prayer, this praise 
it is a song, as we uh, read in verse 1. He gives us the final direction for the choir director on my stringed instruments. So these, this is a song, this is a prayer also that we should repeat, as we know we should repeat Scripture, to sing these things um, and to also play them on instruments. This, for the choir director, if this was only meant for Habakkuk to do, he wouldn't give us the instruction, not only for the choir director, that implies that he's instructing someone in a um, future setting to direct this psalm to be sung and for it to be played on an instrument. So we have evidence here that we should be singing these psalms as we are commanded. This is a command for the choir director on my stringed instruments to sing them, to play them, and to use them in our worship. And finally, a cross-reference for that is in Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness and your hearts to God. So as we sing to God, as we sing praise to God, verse 16, by no coincidence, mentions the word of Christ. That this is what we should be singing, not the words of man. We have not only the whole book of Psalm, but we have our song here by Habakkuk. There are many songs throughout scriptures for us to sing and sing praises to God to ensure that what we are singing is true and righteous. Not softened, not mitigated by the flesh, but the true word of Christ. Just as they were singing in the jail after being beaten with rods and thrown in prison, always singing these psalms and hymns. Just as Habakkuk is here with the impending um, destruction, just as the other righteous men have sung with their circumstances and their persecutions and their hardships, that is always singing with thankfulness to God, that this is how our mind should be. So let us persevere in our faith with our example here of Habakkuk and all those uh, righteous men that we studied tonight. That no matter what happens, whatever comes our way, that we always are singing praise to God because our hope is not set on this world but in the life to come. Amen.